Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Heart of White Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Heart of White Campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Heart of White Ministries, please visit heartofwhite.com. The word peace in English usually speaks to the end of conflict. The fight is broken up. But the vision of the Old Testament of the word that we translate peace, the vision of that word shalom is wholeness. We're living in a time marked by real violence. I've watched with horror Israel and Hamas in this sort of thing. It would be a nice end to violence, these tr- the truce we had temporarily over these past few days. What's coming is not an eternal end of violence. It's a reconciliation and a coming together under the Lordship of Christ so that there is wholeness. Uh, Not simply will Israel and Hamas stop shooting each other. They will put their guns away and join hands around the throne of the Lamb. We need to remember the high calling of what Jesus has established and what he's calling us to. We're people of that kingdom living in this moment. And may the peace of Christ be yours uh, this day. Our scripture for this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. We're working through the accounts, the things that happened all through the birth of Jesus and his early childhood. We're looking at Luke through this Advent. And so today we'll read from Luke 1, uh, verses 26 through 38. It's the birth of Jesus foretold in his prophecy. So I'm going to ask, out of respect for the word and appreciation, if you'd stand with me as I read. I hear the word of God. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that was last week's story, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly graced, highly favored, for the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, What kind of greeting might this be? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor or grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. I'll take a moment and pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, thank you that as Luke reflected on his conversations with 
perhaps Mary, but certainly Mary's family, and pondered this moment and then wrote it down so that we might centuries later through the preservation of these texts sit and read, get a glimpse into a moment in a young woman's life, her bold decision. Help us to see in her life a pointer to the great God who would call each of us in unique and powerful ways. Father, guard your people from my own confusion and brokenness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you who sent Gabriel would be present even now to make sure we hear and apply to our hearts and minds all that you have to say. Thank you for your kindness. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Luke makes clear a little earlier in his gospel that the information he gives to us has been handed down to us by eyewitnesses, by people who saw what happened. He carefully investigated because he wanted to write an orderly account so that you, I wonder if he pictured you, you, centuries later, were a part of that word. We are the you to which he's thinking so that we may know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. One of those eyewitnesses sources it appears, it doesn't say specifically, he pursued eyewitnesses. And then you see Luke including things that only an eyewitness could give him. This would be one of those passages. We're not sure when Mary, the mother of Jesus, passed away, but chronologically, Mary may well still have been living when Luke was gathering his information. At the very least, her family, who'd grown up hearing that story, would have been alive to speak with Luke. Luke knew James, the other son of Mary. So here we are. This account of the angel Gabriel's conversation with Mary comes to us from Mary to Luke or, or from Mary to her family to Luke and now to us. These things are given to us so that we might uh, understand the certainty of the things that we've been taught. An eyewitness account that now has tremendous challenge and opportunity and meaning for us. Here was Mary, a young woman. You know, again, it's not clear about exactly what age she was. You would expect that she and Joseph were within the standard cultural practices of their marriage. She would have been a young woman. He would have apparently been established in his business so that he could support a family. In the midst of her engagement, there is a troubling announcement. And it's an announcement of grace. You heard me substitute those words where it says favor. The word is typically charis, grace gift. This will happen because of a, a gift. I'm here because of God's grace for you, Mary, but it's delivered in a troubling way. It's delivered by an angel, this angel in particular, Gabriel. Now, let's be honest. You've heard me say we need to major on the majors, minor on the minors. When the scripture is not clear about something, we shouldn't fill in the blanks. 
So it's quite true that we don't know a lot from the Scripture about these non-human spiritual beings that we call angels. There's more questions than answers about angels. We know the word angel is taken from Greek for messenger, and we see angels in the Scripture often delivering news. That's what Gabriel is doing for Mary. That's what Gabriel did for Zechariah. Indeed, five centuries earlier, this same angel, boy, that's different than a human being. This same angel, Gabriel by name, shows up in Daniel 8 and 9 and delivers a message. He interprets visions for Daniel two times. I'll read from Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, that's chapter 8, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you. For you are highly favored. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Last week, uh, JB brought to us a reflection on Zechariah and the announcement of John's birth. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, too old to have children, well past the time. Suddenly, Gabriel appears to him while doing his work in the temple. He's given a message, and he's so amazed, overcome with fear in the conversation even. He's left speechless. I want to tell you something. These non-human spiritual beings are not little puppy dogs on a chain for us to marvel at and to wonder. They are fearful encounters. It's odd for me to read about angelic appearances in our culture, and you'd think folks are getting a new goldfish. Let me tell you the story of my angel. How different those encounters are than this. Mary was troubled. Daniel was slain in the spirit, knocked out. Angels show up and folks were aware, whoa, there is something transcendent and beyond simply my imminent experience. It's an experience with something far beyond us. Luke 1, 28, the angel, that is Gabriel, went to Mary and said, greetings you who are highly graced, the Lord is with you. And Mary's response was greatly troubled, disturbed, wondering. Well, Gabriel gives Mary a message, you will be with child, and this child will be special, but you will be with child. Imagine A message from a troubling messenger, this majestic angel, and a message itself that means your whole life is turned upside down. What could Mary expect with this message that Gabriel brings to her? Well, there's some things she could expect. First, let's think about the life that Mary was expecting. Again, a young woman engaged to be married, Seems like this fiance was a nice enough guy. We don't know much about him. He doesn't seem to be wealthy, but he's working. He seems to have some recognition in the community. She's a virgin, pledged to be married. A young woman with what in that time would have been a secure future and social setting as she could have. This she expected to be married 
to be part of a family, to live and to share life with those she would love. But now Gabriel shows up and tells her, oh, you're blessed, you're gonna get pregnant. What would that mean for Mary? That's the life you expected and knew. Here's a message about a new life that's coming your way. Well, it would have meant a number of things. One was private rejection. Joseph, her fiance, when he finds her pregnant by someone other than himself, would be legally free. Indeed, it would be expected to not go through with the marriage. The pathway for the life as she expected it was about to end is part of the message of Gabriel. The security, the relationship, the family turned from suddenly all those expectations now to a mother alone in a culture that's hard-pressed to care. There would also be public humiliation. What we know of Joseph, he seems to be a pretty considerate guy. When he finds out that Mary's pregnant by someone other than himself, he's not going to make a big scene. But he is potentially considering putting the marriage off. You know, years later, Jesus would grow up and he would meet a number of women who were outcasts from their community. Women like the woman at the well in John 4. Oh, you've had five husbands. A woman caught in adultery in John 8. It struck me this week that at the message of his own birth for Jesus could have sent his own mother down that very path. Do you think he interacted with those women with a different kind of heart and kindness? The announcement from this troubling angel is gonna turn Mary's life upside down. Oh yes, he will be a king of a kingdom that lasts forever. What good might that be? Have you ever seen that? Is it a part of your experience? What am I to think? It sounds positive, but my guess is, having sat with young women facing a pregnancy alone, my guess is she could hardly hear that, wondering if she would be able to live through the experience of rejection and humiliation that she could now expect. One of the things you learn as you live through life is that there are things that you know and can prepare for. There are things you don't know, but you try to prepare for them as well. What really gets tough is the challenges that you don't know that you don't know, the totally unexpected. And Mary would not only have had things that she could expect, but there would be things that she could not know. Some 30 years later, she would gather the family and go to where Jesus was and try to pull him away and bring him back home. My son is out of his mind, is what they say, Mark 3.21. Look at it and ponder it. Ponder a widowed mother in her 50s. Have you or someone you know ever gotten that call child has slipped down the slope into a brutal addiction. 
perhaps a collapse in mental illness. My son is out of his mind. Here is Mary. She had no way of knowing this was in her future, but here is the future. In a few years, she would see him publicly murdered in the cruelest of manners. Gabriel did not warn Mary about this part. Sometimes I think the Lord doesn't make clear what we will face because certainly I would turn and run. So here we are in the story. Mary, a young woman with a troubling encounter, she meets this angel and with news she can hardly comprehend. How will this be, Mary asked the angel? How will this be since I have not... Um, she knew how babies were made. We all know how babies are made. She's saying to this angel, I have evidence that what you are saying is impossible. Now, that seems like a reasonable question in the circumstances, doesn't it? So let's dig into this a bit and ask, is it safe to ask a question? I want to do this as I reach back to last week and consider an interesting set of circumstances. Zechariah in Luke 1.18 asked Gabriel, the same angel, about six months earlier is what Luke says, how can I be sure of this? After all, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, six months later, Mary is asking, Luke 1.34, how will this be, for I am a virgin? I'm fascinated that the outcome or response at first glance to these two questions seems quite different. Have you ever struggled with that? Zechariah asked the question, and then he's silent. He comes out of the temple and can't speak until the birth of his son, John. Mary seems to get an explanation and seems to go on with life. Gabriel says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this news. But because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time, some things will happen. I want to tell you something. This is a transition I navigated just this week, praying and kind of navigating through this text. I've always sensed that Zechariah, and I've been told this, lacked faith, but Mary had faith. And so because of his lack of faith, he was punished and struck silent. Mary, of course, went her merry way, hardly. Similar questions, though. You say this, how will it happen? I want to tell you where I think I've gone wrong before. When I look at Zechariah's silence as a punishment for not believing the message, I think of God in a dangerous way. Is God trying to get Zechariah to perform better? Oh, if you just performed with better faith, then you could speak? No. I want to tell you something. I begin to look. See, here's the two questions. Zechariah, how can I know with assurance? And Mary, how will this thing occur? More similar than different. There is a little bit of difference. The first, these questions are, Zechariah asks, how can I be sure? It's about his knowing. Mary asks, how will this be? It's about how does this happen outside the cause and effect? 
but I think I went down a wrong tunnel when I began to ask, there's a difference in outcome because there's a difference in behavior. God is punishing behavior. Lack faith, struck silence, have faith, keep talking. That's not the God we meet in the scripture. See, that's what began to turn me around this corner that I want to point to today. I began to ask myself, how does Jesus respond to unbelief? You know, there's an interesting little term in the Gospels. You of little faith. And perhaps Gabriel could have used that of Zechariah. What does Jesus do to people he says or diagnoses with little faith? Well, if you look at the text where this word is used, I've just put them all up there. They're in your sermon outline. I encourage you to take them home and look at the larger passages. Consider those. Whenever Jesus diagnoses someone with little faith, he never punishes them. He never castigates them. He does something instead. He does something to build their faith. What's the difference if you were to see yourself as a person of little faith, but had a savior who wants to build your faith as opposed to being a person of little faith who has a God who wants to slap you till you believe. See, that's a different perspective about God. And I repented of a God who wants to judge my unbelief rather than the God I meet in Jesus and now see in the whole scripture who wants to see my unbelief, point it out to me, and then cultivate it and build it. Do you see that difference? What kind of God do you have between your ears? When you see your own lack of unbelief, do you respond with shame? I'd better get to work and perform better. Or is there Father, thank you for showing me. Now, by your grace, empower me. Now, friends, unbelief has its consequences. There's no doubt. Our unbelief often limits what we receive, but it does not change the heart of the God who gave his life for you. Zechariah was not being punished for unbelief. His silence became part of God's story. Zechariah, unable to speak, certainly drew attention when he walked out. More attention than anything he could have said. And then at the birth of John, as he declared the glory of God, people knew they were in the presence of a God moment. I want to tell you, Zechariah was not being punished with silence. God saw his unbelief just like he sees yours and mine. But God, a God who would go to the cross for us and give his life, that God only points out our unbelief so that he, by his grace, may give us more. Run to him when you fall short. Friends, I want to tell you, it's good news to recognize that it doesn't rest with us, but that there is a God of grace who is calling us. A troubling messenger with a troubling message rattles Mary's cage, is gonna change her life in ways she doesn't know. But listen to this response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Friends, Mary makes her choice. It's 
a choice that will guide her understanding, not be based on her understanding or lack thereof. She makes her choice, I am your servant, for no, uh, may your word be fulfilled to me. She's on the journey with Jesus, wherever that takes us. In a few years, when she's wondering about Jesus out of his mind, she can come back to this moment. I am the Lord's servant. The thing that struck me, and I want to close with here today, is that when she signed on to go on the journey with Jesus, she signed on to be out of step with her world. In a few months, she could well be a single mom, pregnant in a culture that would not support her. Fortunately, Joseph, who meets his own angel, <laughs> hangs in there and is a model great father. But think of what Mary faced. She decided, when I'm going with Jesus, it means I'm going to be out of step with the world. The call of God to live in the grace that he offers us in Christ becomes for us as well a call to get out of step with a world that's passing away. We live differently in this world, but we live out of step with this world. Who should be the people in a community that are living with forgiveness of others? It should be God's people. Who should be the people in a community that are living with a generosity that knows no bounds? It should be God's people. Right now, Pastor Wang Yi, I mentioned him from time to time, a pastor in China is in prison because God who placed him in that time and place called him on the journey with Jesus and it meant Wang Yi would be out of step with his culture. Friends, the call to pursue the Lord as Mary did, to let him be our Lord and his word be fulfilled is a call that may call us to be out of step with our world, to be kind in a mean world, to be quiet in a noisy world, to recognize even in our enemies a people that Jesus died for, to recognize even in uncertain times we have a God who has certainly loved us. Yes, Mary makes her choice. And in a sense, I was challenged this week by this question, will I be formed by the word? The word made flesh is Jesus. The word written is the word of scripture where the spirit speaks to us. Will I let the values of Jesus shape me? Or will I try to take the words of Jesus and cover up my predisposed convictions? Will I let his word shape me? Or will I let my culture play the tune for which I dance? Will we be performing for the world and its accolades? It's been interesting to me to, across these years, to look at the change of education in the United States, higher education. When I went to be a student uh, in a previous century, I went to be formed by what the school was teaching. More often than not, I'm amazed how many times we send our sons and daughters off to school and it becomes their platform to perform, to make a name of themse for themselves, to express, to be who they truly are. 
Friends, I want to tell you there's a huge, subtle difference between being formed by the Word and then living that out as opposed to declaring our own. Here's who I am. Here's what I'll do. Performing for the benefit of the world and for its acclaim. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled to me. That word was going to form and guide and lead her, even if it meant being out of step with the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus' name. Thank you that you don't point out our unbelief or shortcoming or sin to invalidate or erase or cast us aside. But you let us see so that you might provide grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you for Mary, a young woman who was graced with pregnancy. That would be the Word made flesh where you would lead us where we would not choose to go, where we find ourselves in circumstances of our making or of another's making or of whose making we don't even know when we find ourselves in those circumstances. Thank you for the promise of your word that you will be with us. And so we, like Mary, can say, so be it. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and love. Be with us through this Advent season. Prepare our hearts to recognize anew the great call of the living God. For we make our prayer in his name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.